Hey, 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 welcome to Unplug with Annie. It's me, Annie, and I want to ask you a really important question. What is stopping you from achieving your dreams? Unplug with Annie is all about hope and perseverance, how we can together work against everything that is holding us back from achieving our dreams, even if that thing includes us. I hope that you enjoy all the conversations. Don't forget to follow Unplug with Annie on IG and Facebook, and you can stay updated with everything Unplug on the website www.unplugwithannie.com. I love to say we need to leave everything on the dance floor that is life. I am rooting for you. Welcome to a brand new episode on Unplug with Annie. Today I have Afshadi Souza Lordi on the show who was born in Dubai and bred in Manchester. She is a writer, a writer of scripts and poetry. She's done some fantastic work including a short film for Channel 4 called An Act of Terror and a radio play for BBC Sounds titled Chop Chop. She is currently developing a TV series with Sky Studios which is very, very exciting. Her debut poetry collection titled Redesire has been long listed for the Jellic prize in 2021 and her most recent play Santi and Naz has been described as tender yet sharply political by the Guardian and has won the Vault Outstanding New Work Award in 2020 as well as her own writing she is definitely keen to develop other young and emerging artists and it's something she's super passionate about something she talks about with me and she's also a young trustee ambassador for the Northwest, as well as steering a committee for Northern Police Monitoring Project, which is an independent campaigning and advocacy organization that challenges police harassment and violence, something I also ask her about. I'm really excited for this conversation. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to Unplug with Annie. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Um, obviously, it's, it's, it's amazing just to have so many different people on this, um, all walks of life and all, all creative kind of backgrounds. And we've had writers before, for sure. But I'd love to talk to you specifically about your journey as a writer as well. And, and how did this like writing bug bite you initially? When, when was that moment? Um, I guess I started writing as um, a little nine-year-old, ten-year-old. I was applying to um, grammar schools at the time and I had to take a project in with me and I remember writing this, um, it must have been like a 1990-something diary and I wrote loads of poems that were really bad, really bad writing and took that with me. Um, and then in like my early teens, uh was writing a novel as, you know, every writer has done at some point in their life or most of us have done it was really bad it wasn't long enough to be a novel um but existed in in you know on my laptop I think I've still got a copy of it somewhere um and then luckily I well I applied to quite a few projects when I was maybe like 15 16 got a play on uh like a rehearsed reading at Royal Exchange and um worked with a project looking into prevent at the time 
um, and, and as a candidate, really understand what the nuances around the conversation. I was like, well, it's anti-terrorism and, you know, preventing violent extremism. Why would that not be a, a great thing for me to get involved in? Um, so I, I helped write a teacher's pack and as part of that wrote a film um, and directed the film, wrote some poetry again to go with it. So, And then from there on, just, just got commissioned. So it, it feels like it's been on and off for quite a while. And until recently, I was uh, working part-time and then full-time. And just this month, I quit. Um, and I'm now 100% f- uh, fully freelance and now focusing on uh, on writing. Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, that's the dream, isn't it? To be in a in a way, just be doing what you what you're really passionate about full time. So that's that's incredible. As as a South Asian woman, I know like that I've definitely had um, a lot of conflicting situations with picking the art, um, <laughs> being like the first in the family to choose something artistic and go against the grain. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your experience picking writing. Was it something that your parents? always supported was it something that you felt completely free um in in order to make that choice of going into the arts and what was that like for you I guess um so my my families are both quite artistic so my mum's side of the family are Indian um and my uh, auntie was really into literature and was singing as a young person my mum was really into poetry or is really into poetry and reading and fiction my dad my uncle you know they they're the generation that send whatsapp poems poems over whatsapp to each other as voice notes and wow. you know stick them in or do in english onto Facebook and then message me to like the post and that kind of stuff so there's there's always been a sort of like understanding that we can use the creative world to express our feelings and our desires um and and our life and and ask questions and things like that so that that side was never really um hindered from my parents perspective my mum was always really um you know kind of pushing me to get into the arts more because it was really what I wanted to do I did a lot of acting as a young kid you know I, I think I had an agent a casting agent for like a year um yeah. but obviously being like you know an, a nine-year-old who's brown South Asian woman doesn't really fly well well back you know early 2000s probably even 1999 I think it was didn't really float well it wasn't really there wasn't really anywhere I could go at that point um <coughs> But they, yeah, so they've always been really supportive. I think when when it came to having a career in the arts, I did um, my undergrad in philosophy. Um, So I purposely didn't choose a career-orientated degree because I wasn't interested in in doing a degree for career purposes. I didn't want to be a doctor or anything of that sort. Um, And I think they kind of knew from quite early on that's not what I wanted to do. I'd already had a few awards and and done some writing stuff before I even applied to university. So there wasn't a, a kind of a fear of you know what I was doing I mean the aunties kind of turned around and wanted to know you know if I could be a doctor of psychology because they didn't understand what philosophy was so that was <laughs> uh, it, it still is there's still a few people that are like oh you can still be a doctor I'm like not the kind of doctor you think um, <laughs> I can be. um and then I guess when it came to you know I came back from uni to Manchester I was studying in London um and trying to find work was quite difficult and I, I just managed to find work within an arts organization that then allowed me to also write and do art stuff at the same time. And I think it's only over maybe the past year and a half that I've really, um, that they see me as a writer. Um, and probably in the last six months that they are like, oh, okay, you know, she can now quit her like full-time job at British Council and do writing. That must mean that, 
writing is paying her okay. Like she must be doing yeah. something with it. So um I think the proud moment for my dad um has been when I, I just got the a sky a commission. Um I just got commissioned by Sky to with Golarana Mira to write a TV show. Yeah. Um that has been, you know, now he's like, okay, you know, it's okay if you don't do the traditional route and X, Y, and Z because actually you're doing stuff in your own way. Yeah. Um, he still does he's not he doesn't know that I've told him that like you know, I've, I've told him quite a few months back and was like, you're not really supposed to tell anybody. And then he was still commenting cryptic stuff on my Facebook posts, <laughs> like, you know. I would, I would tell you that like the sky is the limit but you're already with sky or something and I was like oh my god dad, no you can't this is not oh. <laughs> oh I could see it's like his, his creativity coming through um there that's amazing congratulations that's um that's fantastic um were you in that process I mean obviously now that that's taken a while right for you to get to this position but in 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 all of that were you ever sort of chasing this idea of acceptance from them I think as artists like we we need that it's almost like you need that kind of pat on the back and encouragement and it's very difficult without that support right oh for sure I mean like for the first two years when I came back from from uni my dad was convinced that I was going to do law so he was like I'll pay you for it to do a law conversion degree for a master's do that and be a lawyer like there's a massive need for solicitors there isn't but you know from his perspective there was this massive need of solicitors he was like you go do that go be a lawyer there's money in it I know a lot of people that do that you know because I wasn't clever enough to be a doctor that was like the secondary it was like that of computer science and I also like was really bad at physics and maths so computer science is out of the question um and then I guess like after uh, the acceptance side comes from now I think it's less about them uh less of me chasing acceptance for them and more of me creating work that they would love to see because I think you know when it comes to representation and stories that I want to tell you know my parents don't really watch UK television very very like at all because they're not they're not in it they're not represented they'll go on watch Star Plus or Sony or Hum TV or whatever else is is on but they won't watch mainstream UK TV and I think it's because they don't see a version of themselves or they feel you know it's pitched a very different audience to them so my my goal has always been to create work that they find funny that that speaks to them that they're able to relate to um and and find you know advice through because I think we would take we watch tv and find advice from it mm-hmm. um so I think yeah my journey shifted I think from less about finding acceptance for them and maybe that's because I found acceptance I don't know um to finding a way that they feel accepted within within the mainstream TV um, and, you know, art, artistic sphere, that they can watch and go to a poetry event and not feel stupid or, you know, feel like they can resonate with what's being said yeah. um, or go to the theatre and, you know, be able to sit through a three-hour play with an interval and not feel like they had to have read, you know, Shakespeare before coming into that space. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I have been wanting to make for that. And I think maybe it stems from this idea of being accepted by them but more about them feeling accepted within my world mm. um yeah mm. and what what I I know obviously you you write so much about gender identity or challenging stereotypes um why are these themes so important to you and do you feel do you feel that things have changed obviously they, they have changed but do you think that we're in this space where it's it's enough or is there still 
a lot of work to be done. I think social media has had a massive hand in um, allowing for this shift to occur where suddenly your age as a woman is no longer like a death sentence. Because at one point, like 10 years ago, if you were over 25 and you were unmarried, there was this whole like, yeah. is she okay? Like, is she ill? Is she like, you know, what's wrong with her? Is it because she's fat? Is it because she's dark? Is it because she's seen as ugly? Like, what is it that is about her that is, that is unsuitable? Um and I think because of social media and also this, this increase of women working and actually pursuing careers rather than pursuing families first has allowed, I think, for my parents and other families nearby to really um, kind of see other people's lives and see women that are just doing their thing. They're in their 30s and, and unmarried. And I think it's normalized that life for me anyway. So I'm really appreciative of like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter for, for that. Um, but also I'm in Manchester and Manchester's not, it's not London. So we don't necessarily see the same amount of like diversity and acceptance in, in the way that maybe people in London feel. Um, you know, a lot of my mum's friends and, you know, my aunties and uncles nearby, you know, all their daughters are and married before the age of 30, before the age of 27, really. 27 was like, you know, we'd go to their wedding and my mum would be like, oh, she's a bit old to get married now. And to the, and I'm, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we've also, we've also just been in a two-year lockdown. So there's, there's I think, some allowances my parents have made and they've just not, they haven't brought it up again. They haven't, we've not, you know, I've got a house, I'm, I'm writing, I was able to quit my job to pursue my interest. And that for them, I think, is more important now. But it has been a learning journey for them. And I think for a lot of people as well over the past, you know, 10, 15 years of, of how um, South Asian women and Muslim women were seen as like the forefront of, within media stories being talked about, but never allowed to talk for themselves. And there's been a shift, I think, particularly in the past like five to seven years where women have started talking about their own stories and, and representing their own voices and talking about the nuances within the way they live that allows for me to live in the complex way that I do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I think for a lot of people, there's still so many women that, that are in my DMs every day that are kind of saying they're going through difficult times with their parents where they're struggling to to be South Asian in the UK and still be British and still feel accepted by both of these worlds. Um, so I, th I think there's still a lot more work to do. Um, I think there's just more resources now available than there were maybe like 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously you mentioned the subject of representation in terms of, but in terms of TV film then, like we, we are seeing a shift, a very positive shift, but there's, there's still a lot of, I mean, friends that I know as well who are writers and directors and producers behind the scenes to actors still feel like there's somewhat these gatekeepers which are preventing, you know, I, I think a friend once told me he was fortunate enough to pitch something and, and get in front of the commissioner. And, and, and this is about five, six years ago now, but it was obviously an a South Asian oriented story. And he was told that, okay, we've already, we've already ticked that box um, this year or this month or whatever it is. And it's almost just like that one story is enough, right? And what, once that's been hit, it, it's almost like saying that we don't have these different nuanced characters that we, we, we kind of, we are slotted into one box. And um, I was just wondering how you have been challenged by that as a writer when when pitching your work or when um, 
when writing about whatever you feel passionate about, writing about what kind of challenges you've come up against? I think I'm really privileged in that I worked in publishing for for about 10 years. And I think the, and I was I worked in publishing within, um, you know, Black-led organisations. And so talking about representation and talking about how we, how writers contextualise their own work in order to market it, for example, has always, they've, they've always been conversations that I've been a part of. So I've been able to take that knowledge and apply it to my own, to pictures and to work that I'm doing. There is like, there's a lot of, um, you know, sadly, those conversations like still taking place. There is still this idea that, you know, we've already got our one South Asian woman and we've already got all this. And sometimes it's from, you know, our own people. Sometimes I, I look at the, the comedy scene, for example, which is what a lot of my writing fits into. And, it, you know, when you look at like South Asian comedy is predominantly male. And I, and, I, and I wonder, like, where are the women that are in that? And even the women that are in those, you know, um, skits or sketches or shows they're very they're submissive or they're somebody's sister they're not a main character they're not love interest they're not you know even within that there's still misogyny that takes place um and and then I'm not seeing this kind of um I don't know how it's explaining it, but there's like a brotherhood that goes on there's this kind of like it feels quite cliquey it's like I'm gonna support you because you're my man and like you're my bro and like we're gonna do this but like as soon as a woman comes in, just, there's just no support. There's a lack of kind of like people around her because there's just nobody in the industry. So I really feel for South Asian women right now um, and women of colour, black women even, that are, that are making work and doing stuff within TV and film because it's really lonely and really difficult and you're suddenly having to battle not just with racism but also from misogyny and then misogynoir and all of that stuff from, from people that you think are your allies. Um, luckily, I'm I'm... My experience in TV at the moment has been quite pleasant working with Sky. They've been, you know, in a weird, it's been really weird. And everyone, even my agent is like, this is not common for them to, you know, go from pitch to to pilot straight away in, in, a, in a way that a lot of people haven't been able to. So there's something about, I think, being able to tell your story in a way that um, is authentic to itself because um, I think that's what Galarana, uh, my co-writer Galarana Mir and I have done is that we've we kind of sat down and we didn't write for the team. What do they want us to write? We wrote it as like we've got these four different ideas between us together because we write them together and what do we write? And just put all these mashed all of our ideas together. So and you know Sky got back. So it's and I think that for me is like more authentic journey as a writer. Um, and I think a lot of production companies can see that and can see that actually if you focus on the story and you focus on um, the journey to produce that story as opposed to second guessing what the producers want or the companies want and desire, you'll actually get further um, further in the industry. Um, you know, we, we've had like uh, Black to Front quite recently with Channel 4 and a lot of initiatives because of, you know, because of Black Lives Matter movements last year that have really meant that TVs are now looking internally at their own companies and within their own hierarchies and shifting things, it's still going to be a slow process because it takes like three to five years before anything comes onto our screens. It's not as quick as, you know, we like to think it is. So yeah. ask me again in five years, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're seeing like amazing people. I think like yourself, it's probably testimony to the fact that the story is amazing that Sky have taken it on board, but even just um yeah incredible incredible figures like Michaela Cole um really challenging the system and and making her own work and being 
having authenticity at the center, as you mentioned. Um, is there a way for you to like, as, as a piece of advice for, for, for writers out there, like just in terms of staying authentic and tapping into that authenticity, um, what would you say to them in, in regards to that? Because I think there's so much of also, not just for writers, for anyone in the arts, but kind of tweak, feeling like you have to, you have to tweak yourself in order to, to please others or, or fit into what, what's trending maybe, or um, yeah, whatever it is. I think just there's, there's a lot of people pleasing that we naturally kind of get into being in the arts. And how do we kind of like not fall into that trap? <coughs> I guess um, trends change, right, all the time. And I think because the journey from like writing to producing something whether it's a book or whether it's a, a production tv or a theater play whatever it is takes like you know two three years minimum to get to that point there's no point us trying to second guess what the trends will be if we write the stories and then we take it to a company and they want to put a trend in because they will most probably come back and say you know pink dogs are really in this season can we have like a pink dog or, or something you know um that will already happen so there's no there's no reason for you to keep trying to second guess and keep building that into it. I think once we start doing that, then we're, we're writing ourselves out of, um, out of the story because we're, we're not writing ourselves, we're writing the story that people, we think the production companies want, not even what the audiences want because the production companies want a particular story because they're thinking five years ahead. Um, audiences are thinking whatever is on TV right now, we're waiting for the next season of you. Like it's not, yeah. you know, we're, we're not thinking, Oh, you know, three years I'll be interested in, you know, potatoes and, and how potatoes are made or something. That's what I want to watch. So it's it's really hard as a writer because so often we're we're told by so many different people, like that we need to think about what audiences we're writing for. We need to think about what the companies want. We need to think about what we want and where we want to be and what this is going to do for our career. But, you know, I think coming down back to the basics of like, why do you write and why do you create and what the core reason is? And then clinging onto that for dear life whatever whatever reason that is if it's money then okay you know then you're you're probably in the wrong industry maybe go to tv and go to the us you know and then focus on a very specific kind of scripted um soap for example because that's where you'll make the money but if you're interested in questioning stories and asking you know there's, you know why is it you write i think is a question that you ask yourself as a, as a writer um, and then making sure that you have writer friends near you um and network and that could be either online through social media or it could be in person through um writing groups I think those are you know those writers have, have often turned around and said oh that's a really naff idea or that's a great idea or like why are you writing this stuff Shana it doesn't sound like something you'd want to write or you know kind of like questioning and interrogating of the stories that we put forward and I feel like I'm able then to put forward an idea that is more authentic because also I have to write it I have to live the idea for so long and there's no point pitching an idea or thinking about doing something that I'm not even going to be interested in for five years or 10 years. You know, some of these journeys we've just heard about Squid Games, which is like really popular on Netflix at the moment, mm -hmm. had like, what is it, like a 15 year or 28 year journey? It's a ridiculous year journey. Like yeah. you have to live with that story for so long and those characters for so long that you need to write something that you actually like and care about. Yeah. Um and that's, I think, what I mean by authentic rather than the right to tell a story. I think it's more about 
you and your desire to write a story and, and make sure that you love it enough to carry on with it for X amount of years. Yeah, yeah. And I think it just, it reminds us as well, right, that I think we're so used to seeing this sort of like sensationalized story of overnight success when something hits big, like a, like a squid game. And you just think like, oh, I, you know, I want to be that person who gets to do this and have this. But then you have no idea the amount of years and sacrifice which has gone into it. Um, and I'm guessing that that why for you, like kept you going in times where you might, you might have questioned like, am I ever going to get like, you know, when, when the sky deal wasn't in the picture or you felt like things weren't moving as, as you wanted them to move, like what, from a mental health perspective, because I'm definitely like big on taking care of, of ourselves, especially as artists, um, what what for you is important has been something really important for you that you do whether it's a certain routine of doing things or whether it's support system in order to like get through I think the, the lows of this profession I think I've I've um so I, I used to perform my own my own work as one person shows uh, and I learned after touring that I have to listen to my body um, and listen listen really closely to what my body wants and body needs um, and that means that because I'm a workaholic, that I reach burnout at a particular point. And if I don't listen to my body and stop, I will burn out and then I won't be able to do anything for weeks. Um, so I built in and it works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. But I built in a process where, for you know, for two days, my calendar is blocked out every few weeks where I do nothing. That's no commissions, no meetings. Um, and I just sleep and I'll watch Netflix and I'll eat and I'll do my nails or dye my hair or whatever I need to do. Um, and that's just me time. No socialization either with people because that often ends up being networking and ends up being work. Mm. And I think building in that rest time, um, guilt-free rest time, regardless of how many deadlines I've got due in for like the third day, um, means that I'm not guilty about when I'm resting. Um, and it doesn't become procrastinating because... I found that when I have a deadline and I'm not meeting that deadline, I can't even rest properly or sleep properly because I feel guilty for sleeping because I'm supposed to be writing. Right. So kind of having this guilt-free sleep time or having this guilt-free lunch time where I'm going to fully be present in my break and be fully present in the fact that I'm not going to write or not going to do anything right now. So that when I come back to it, I'm 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 coming back to it the full brain. I'm coming back to the to the writing to the commission. Um, I think as writers we never stop. I think we're always writing, even when we're not writing, even when we're resting, we're we're writing. There's always some story that we're thinking of or some character that will always pop up in our mind as we're you know flying somewhere or I don't know eating tacos on a beach. <laughs> this is what I wish I was doing. Um, so there's there's always that that kind of. Um, We'll always be working anyway. It's just making sure that you take enough breaks and having, you know, I go back to this idea of like having network, having a circle of people that you can rely on. And even if it's just not even writers, but like, can we just go out for brunch today and like just chat crap? Yeah. Or like, can I just send you this meme about writing? Or, you know, and I think having other writer friends that get it um really helps. Um, all of my friends now that I hang out with, um, yeah, I think I have very few non-writer friends, which is really weird. So all of my friends are writers in some way, or creatives in some way, shape or form. So yeah. it means if we go out for brunch and we're, we're chilling or we go out for a drink or a coffee, then it will be 
where we both want to break so badly that we will be heavily invested in it. I don't have to talk about work unless I want to, or, you yeah. know, I don't have to network unless I really want to, because we both understand that we work 24 hours anyway. This is our break time. This is us focusing on our brains and our and looking after ourselves. Because um, I think that's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's so, you know, the arts has this horrible um, reputation for making people do a lot of work for little pay. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, don't be afraid of doing that part-time job somewhere else. You know, it doesn't make you less of a writer to, yeah. to not to not give in to that, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think learning to just say no, like, I, I mean, I think that's great that you block two days out. I think that's really sad because I, I'm a bit like you in the sense that I think I a lot of my my worth and my identity is attached to my work and like the idea of staying busy and doing and when I'm not I'm suddenly like oh my god I'm just like I'm useless I'm not doing anything and that's just yeah not very good at all um you another thing that you do is I, I know that you're you're an advocate is it for, it's the northern police marketing project is that right project, yeah uh, right uh, yeah okay and 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 it's obviously you they deal with a lot of harassment and violence and and that was something I wanted to touch on as well just because of everything that's been happening recently in the UK as well and we're seeing a lot of violence against women and um and I, I was recently involved in in a youth project and speaking to like young women as well and hearing their perspectives and them just saying that actually oh I you know I I, I don't feel safe or um, I have to do all of these things and why do I have to do all of these things why do I have to like worry about which food I'm taking home and and um, and 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 I wanted to know like your thoughts on this and what really needs to be done internally to create um, a more significant change because you know why why is this still happening and then also we're, we're seeing the bias in how it's treated in the media as well um, you know, a, a, a Caucasian woman having an incident against her versus South Asian women, woman and how that's being treated differently. And it's just become very, very apparent that we can't ignore it. So what, what, yeah, where do we need to go? What needs to be done? There's so much in that question, I guess, because it's, um, I think first and foremost, abolish the police. Um, I think so. Um, my work with Northern Police Marching Project is, I've taken a step back from that and just from, you know, the last conversation we were having about mental health and um, about how we look after ourselves, I really had to take a step back because I wasn't looking after myself. Um, and there's a we're strong um, advocates for abolition and abolition of the police. In, and I don't mean we get rid of them tomorrow. It's going to be a, a slow process of maybe 50 to 100 years where we have to rethink how we interact with each other and with the world and with society so that we can get to a point where a, a police force, an institutionalised force to that extent is no longer needed. Um, and I think that once we get rid of, and I think on the way, the process to get rid to, to abolition will mean that we'll have to rethink um, gender roles. We'll have to rethink, um, you know, men will have to rethink how they walk around in the world and how they live in the world and how they exist in a way that is so much more privileged than women. We'll have to um, look at institutional racism and look at bias and look at systemic issues that we kind of pass on to the police right now. We'll have to really advocate for mental health services and making sure that we look after each other. So that might even mean a three-day or a four-day work week so that we have more time to rest and more time to look after ourselves so we're not putting, in, putting ourselves in a position that means that 
you know, we have a mental health crisis. And right now, if you do have a mental health crisis, then people you can call really are the police. You know, you can call an ambulance, but the ambulance will then call um, the police as well if they if they find that you're difficult to, to hold or to restrain. So I think on our on our way to abolition, we solve all of these issues because we have to solve them in order to get to abolition. Um, so yeah, on the policeman, like <laughs> that's, <laughs> I don't know, don't know it's, I'm not, it's not that simple, but it's also like, it is that simple, I think on the, on the pathway. Yeah. Get to that point. Cause it's a process. It's not, it's not a, it's not a product. Abolition isn't a product. It's a process. And yeah. we have to start now, but, and everything that we're, that we're talking about here in this conversation that you mentioned the question mm-hmm. around women's safety and about racism and, you know, men's role within all of that as well. We need to solve and fix all these things on the way to abolition. Um, and it won't be easy. It'll be really difficult because it's a lot of unlearning, but we've also just spent two years indoors, you know, a year and a half indoors in lockdown. There was, you know, five years ago, if you just, three years ago, if you'd have said to me, we're going to work from home, I'd be like, nah. There's no way, there's not a chance that we're going to be spending, you know, seven days of a week at home because we would never get to that point. I couldn't even imagine what a lockdown or what a pandemic would feel, would be like. But here we are, we've, we've changed the way that we we live. We've moved to Zoom in a way that I don't think people would have done two years ago at all. You know, not ordinarily for podcasts and interviews and stuff, I travel. And that takes it out of me because I'm in Manchester and a lot of them are in London. So... Suddenly we've we've dismantled this north-south in the UK divide because we can do things on Zoom, right? Um so I think there's a, I think there is a I think we start with abolition of police and we 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 strive for that and we aim towards that along the way we'll solve everything else that needs to be solved. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I mean that's such an interesting perspective. I think um yeah, it, it's it's super relevant. I mean there's there's a lot of like crap going on right now in the world um yeah I think you know everything that you mentioned even in terms of maybe a four-day work week and and the effect that would have on on mental I think sometimes now now actually the fact that so many people are working from home a lot of people are feeling like they're working more because there's there's a bit of a blur with everything now it's like now you just don't stop at all or you're expected to do more because you're in your own sort of comfortable environment um so yeah, I just feel like with every new season, there's these new challenges as well that we're we're coming up against. But um, yeah, I think I think the subject of violence against women is just so important, and it's really great that you're you're doing the work that you're doing. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, another question that I just wanted to ask you was just about your your inspirations and influences. I know we touched upon it at the beginning that you know growing up. I, I think you were talking about your parents not seeing people they could relate to, right, on UK television. But what was it like for you? Were you were you seeing any of it? I know that um, I just went to see East of East at the, the National last week and <laughs> I brought that back. Um, but realising that it's still so relevant, perhaps as relevant as it was when it first came out. Um, uh, do you feel like now a sense of... of I, I, I don't know. Do you feel a sense of fitting in more now when you put on your television screen? Do you see yourself in characters right now? Or is that something that you're still striving to do through your writing? Um, um, both. Um, so I feel like um, I, as a young person, I, I looked for stuff 
so much to that was representative of myself. You know, I picked up Bali Rai was the first um, novelist that I came across that was writing fiction um, about um, young desis in the UK. And that was like mind-blowing. The Mallory Blackman came shortly after People of Colour. Um, and, I, and I remember distinctly not having watched East is East and not being allowed to watch East is East because it was like an adult film. And Anita and me was there was a weird kind of because it was based on a book my mom had read the book I think I was allowed to watch that but there was there was a point where we, there was a it was a weird kind of like relationship of like you're not allowed to watch these films and we're not gonna you know we're just gonna not mention them and not talk about them um and like and, and East Disease is a great great film I completely agree but I also think that it's overused in theatre it's overused right now there was a Carmen Ivana who were a domestic um violence on a based violence charity talks about how East is East is the film that was given until until maybe like five years ago less than five years ago probably um East is East was a film that was given to teachers to help them understand forced marriage um, and arranged marriage and I was like that's ridiculous given that the film is so old first of all and secondly like it is not a great example of like forced and arranged marriage conversation and dialogue um and then I was like, have we not moved on? Do we not have nuanced conversations right now? Are they not? And there are, we just don't, we just don't promote them or we just don't give them um, our time of day or we haven't commissioned them yet. Um, I think we're getting to that point now where we're starting to see more diversity. So like We Are Lady Parts was like an amazing, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. I'm so jealous I didn't, like I wasn't on the writing team, but like, it's fine. No, that's great. Um, and <laughs> I, I love, I, I love that like, it has complexity, it has nuance, it has diversity of characters. And it's all within, um, you know, they're all Muslim. They're all, you know, and it's like, what? That You couldn't have that before. You'd have to have like one Muslim character and then like, and her family and then like everybody else would be white or, you know, there'd be other people of colour maybe if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, it was suddenly like, this is a show about Muslims that isn't about Islam. It's right. a show about Muslims that isn't about Muslims in that in in a way that is it's about people, um, and that for me is is mind blowing. Um, so I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it happen very slowly, um, but my fear is that we are lady parts is done, and for the next two years that will be it. You know, we might have a second season of we are lady parts, and that yeah. will be the show that that is it. I mean, Ackley Bridge was great. You know, or is great rather because it's still going, but. Um, it's pitched at a particular level and it's a particular kind of show mm. um, which doesn't have I think the same level of diversity and nuanced conversations as We Are Lady Parts has because it still has to have whiteness within Ackley Bridge in order for it to exist because it's about the two schools coming together so I think there's a lot more work to be done we're getting there I'm just I just don't I want to make sure that it doesn't become like oh we've got Ackley Bridge or people are looking for or we've got We Are Lady Parts people are looking for that next show yeah. so everything will now be pitched as like the we are lady parts but like <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't know like boxing or something and I can see it now already like every show will now be pitched every Muslim show that has more than two Muslim women in it mm. we're like oh it's like we are lady parts I'm like well not everything has to be like that one yeah. show um, yeah with this season Muslims in yeah yeah no I agree it was it was absolutely fantastic I was fortunate enough to audition um for I think they're making a film and I was fortunate to audition for I think I, I, Aisha by Waters was doing it for and I, I, I believe Nadal's written it as well but it, it I mean 
didn't get it but the 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 audition was like the scene was absolutely fantastic so that's something I think definitely to to look forward to but yeah I I can see that happening too and I I do find myself having conversations about why there's I, I feel like on a very ground level um with with the movement like Black Lives Matter what we've seen is really the black community um really championing each other and, and backing each other and supporting each other and um, applauding for each other and celebrating each other's wins. And in the South Asian community, I feel like somewhere we're missing something. And I don't know whether it comes from this like sort of lack or feeling that um, when that part's gone to that person, okay, that's it. There's nothing left for me. And um I think it's our proximity to whiteness. I think we're so we're we're closer to whiteness than black people are. And there's once we get recognition or we get acceptance within a particular field, we're suddenly seen as white and we suddenly present as white. Or we act we, I don't want to use the word act white, but we 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 don't want to give a leg up to anybody else because suddenly we're being accepted within whiteness. Whereas like I think as a as a black person, you're never accepted within whiteness because you're you, there's just you, there's just no chance right racism is so ingrained within us that you're never going to accept a black person within the same line um as whiteness whereas i think south asians we have such a close proximity to whiteness and such a desire through colonialism and through racism and, and internalized institutional racism that we we really struggle with this idea of supporting each other and bringing each other up which is why you see it with the boys kind of like bringing each other up and bringing each other into their own shows and doing cross collaborations and stuff. But I, there's no women anywhere and they're not, they're not supporting the women at all. And there's no, when women do become, I don't want to name names, but when women do get to that point where they've, they've reached a particular level of success, they disappear and they do other work with other people. They don't seem to bring anybody up into, in, into the industry. And I've noticed it time and time again, and I think, you know, part of why I'm so keen on doing collaboration and co-writing with people is because I want to be able to give an opportunity to other people to actually come in. But also I think that's the best way that ideas are produced is through collaboration rather than me individually writing something. Because I'm not not always a narcissist in thinking that I have the best ideas and I am the only person, that, you know, as a writer, you have to have some narcissistic tendencies. But I feel like when you're collaborating, you're able to kind of pass over responsibility to somebody else and really share ideas and develop them in a way that you know, going back to the authenticity question, really is authentic, um, and really feels like it's responding to the industry. At the moment, I feel like there's, I think we, there's there's so much more nuance within South Asians in terms of like conversations that aren't happening in the UK. I see them happening in India. I see them happening to an extent, even in Pakistan, Bangladesh, you know, and Sri Lanka, but I don't see them happening in the UK. Um, in the US, I'm seeing them, you know, we, we've got the Pillars Fund that's just launched, yeah. I think, last year. And, and that, like, again, feels like, okay, they've got a diversity of Muslim creatives on that. I would not see the same thing here in the UK. You know, suddenly there's this idea that if you're Muslim, you have to present in a certain way. If you're South Asian, you have to present in a certain way. South Asian in the UK still means North Indian and Pakistani, mm. right? Maybe Bangladeshi, if you're lucky. Nepalese, Sri Lankan, Afghanistan, like Afghani people... I doubt it. South Indians, where are they? There's no representation whatsoever within this conversation of South Asian identity and this identity. South Indians, anyone with a dark skin tone is not invited into that space 
at all. And that for me is like really problematic and goes back to this idea of what, there's still this a lot of ingrained internalized racism that we have to do unlearn um individually but also collectively as a um as a racial group yeah yeah no a hundred percent i think um yeah again pinnis fund i think i think riz ahmed is involved in that isn't he and um but it's yeah. it's again a, a male figure and yeah we we need we, we need more women championing women I think and like you said just um bringing others up and it's it's great I think that collaboration mindset is so important at the end of the day to give like the next generation something which we didn't necessarily have um gosh yeah I mean it's, it's such a heavy conversation but like an important conversation um I'm yeah no it's been it's been so great speaking to you um, obviously, obviously, Sky is something. I'm sure it's it's going to be a while till we we see we see that coming into some kind of fruition um, on our screens. But is there anything else that you're currently working on? Anything that people can see and just direct them to the right place? Yeah. So I've got um, two shows coming up. One is a rehearsed reading of Chop Chop, which is the play. Uh, that's like we are lady parts but set in a halal butcher shop. Um, it, it's a, a dark comedy set in a halal butcher shop uh, run by Muslim women. Um, and that's uh, Bolton Octagon uh, the first week of November. And then I'm taking a show called How to Eat Mangoes to the US in May next year. Um, and I'm hoping to tour that at some point, I think in June, July in the UK, but I've still got to work out what's happening. Um, the play that I'm doing with uh, Golrana, Santi and Naz, um, is also going to be touring pretty soon as well. So watch, mm. you know, check out the filmers and, and stay in touch with them. Um, but everything else is sort of on a back burner and it's constantly being written and unwritten and not being written because I'm procrastinating. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, hopefully we'll see some more stuff coming out in, in the near future. Yeah, amazing. And and my, and my last question just would just be um, something I asked all the guests is what what kind of legacy, what kind of imprint would you want to leave behind? What do you want to be remembered for at this point in your life? I know it's a bit morbid question at the same time, but... <laughs> uh, it's like, it's reminded me, I need to get a will. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, I think I want, I want my legacy to be about um, collaboration. I want my legacy to be about... Um, creating creating work together with people um and very focused around the process to create it rather than the product um yeah I think that's I don't know how that what that means yeah. but that I think is is I wanted to be like oh Afshan was that person who would do a lot of collaboration I want people to have met and collaborated because they've worked with me and collaborated with me in the past that I think is God, that's really narcissistic as well, isn't it? And maybe yeah. that's my <laughs> that's my goal. I want people to have like created amazing stuff and been like, oh yeah, we met on like this writer's room with Afshan, and then we decided to do this own project ourselves, and now we're you know the, the number one or number two on Netflix. I mean, that's what I want. I want that. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Nice. Bring people together. Yeah, that's not narcissistic at all. It centers myself though. It centers myself as like the person that has to do it, which is I have to battle with that. It's okay. I'll have words of myself later. But um <laughs> That's okay. That's completely fine. Um thank you so much, Efsha, for jumping on and talking to me. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure everyone else will as well. Um thank you for your time. 
thanks for having me and yeah really really interesting conversations and questions coming up that's it from me today on unplug with annie until next time remember you can stay tuned with everything unplug on www.unplugwithannie.com i'm going to leave you with one of my favorite quotes from mandy hale you'll learn as you get older that rules are made to be broken be bold enough to live life on your terms and never ever apologize for it go against the grain refuse to conform Take the road less traveled instead of the well-beaten path. Laugh in the face of adversity and leap before you look. Dance as though everybody is watching. March to the beat of your own drummer and stubbornly refuse to fit in.